1: grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. And we wrap up this series on the life of Joshua called When God Calls You. As sin is serious, and Achan and his entire family bore the full weight of his sin. Today, Jesus bears the weight of our sin for us. So how will you respond? How will you choose to live differently because of God's mercy? Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available all for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do look for the Give tab right there at reallife.org. In the final message in this series, Pastor Sean is teaching from Joshua chapter 7. It's part two of the message called How He Leads. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: I mean, other principles... In regard to how we treat people, don't use people. Build people. I've talked talked a little bit about how we're wired just to use people. He said, "No, no, I don't want you to sit and, and let me tell you something. We nonprofits we can be worse than even for profits. Okay, business and business uses people, and we know sometimes grinds them up, spits them out. But we nonprofits, you have to understand, volunteers are the lifeblood of a nonprofit. Okay, if all the volunteers at River City said we're not going to show up, uh, this doesn't happen." You know, we've, we've got the staff, which is a pretty small group, compared to the size of this ministry. Well, it can get very tempting for a nonprofit to start using people and just try to get people to do what you need them to do. And the Lord said, I don't want you to do that. He says, what I want you to do is I want you, instead of looking for a square peg that you're going to try to cram in some round hole or even do it into a square hole, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take whoever I bring, develop them into who I've created them to be, and he said, I'll meet your people needs better than you ever could. And that's been one of the coolest things to watch, to see God do that. But it's counterculture. It's not how the standard search project. I go to lots of pastors' conferences. Now I'm in a group with pastors from large churches, and I, I go to that group. And, man, there's the, you know, the, the different organizations that help you hire. There's the different organizations that help you prepare, look for positions, and do all your HR. And sometimes this principle has gotten in the way, and it's like, God's called us to do some things very differently. But we've seen incredible blessing and gifting from that. One of the principles was build my kingdom and let me build your ministry. If your name is on it, don't worry about if it brings money or people to your ministry. Build the kingdom. I'll build your ministry, says the Lord. Let me tell you, he's way better at it than we are. And then the last was simply the, the flesh and the spirit. He said, you're never going to get over this. this. Every time you come up to a crossroads of decision, you're going to have the flesh talking to you one way, and you're going to have the spirit talking another. And the flesh and spirit are always at war. Galatians 5, what's good for one is bad for the other. And I, I've got to tell you, that happens I, 10 times a day, 100 times a day sometimes. Little decisions, you, little crossroads you come to, the flesh says, I want to do this. You're in an encounter with a person, you're considering a purchase, you're, wh- whatever it is. The flesh says, I want to do this. The Spirit's saying, no, 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 you've got to do this. And where you decide, and those little things have huge implications. You need feed the flesh or feed the Spirit. So these principles were like God teaching us where God leads matters, but how he leads matters just as much. And God was saying, I want you to walk differently. And that's what God was teaching Joshua and them. They'd gotten a little presumptuous, and he was saying, time out. You've got to understand, I'm doing a work among you. You have to follow me. There's a, I'm, I'm leading you for a gift and a blessing. Don't miss it because they're trying to take shortcuts. A couple things that both, if I could like have a little interview with Joshua and Aiken, That, That'd be a little bit awkward, but you know, if we could have both of them here today, they would tell us this right up front. God takes sin seriously. God takes sin seriously. And for us, this is really a big deal because we live in a culture that doesn't. I want to say to you, I've said it to you hundreds of times, but it's so important, I want you to memorize it, I want you to understand it. Because we live in a world that people don't understand why our God hates sin. What is with God and hating sin? What's the deal? Remember, God hates sin because it kills the people that he loves. That's why God hates sin. I've compared it before. It's like mothers against drunk drivers. They hate alcohol and drunk driving because they've lost someone they love to it. Well, God has lost Millions, billions to sin and its destruction destruction. People who his plan and his desire was to give them abundant life. But instead the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, and they gave in to him. And it killed them. God hates sin because it kills those he loves. He doesn't tolerate it, he hates it. And we gotta be real careful. We don't mistake his grace for indifference. I think sometimes we do that in this in this culture that we have, and God's grace is incredible. It is amazing. It is beautiful. But we can start to think of God like, oh, it's because of grace. He doesn't care about sin. We think the God of the Old Testament, he was hardcore, you know, glad, glad I'm not having to deal with him. No, God now, he's, he's aged. He's mellowed well, like fine wine. He's kind of like a, a senile old man now who when you do something sinful or, or something, he just kind of rubs you in your head, you know, you, and just kind of thinks you're cute. That's not, that's not God. That's an invention of our own minds. God hates sin because it kills people that he loves. See, sin always kills. No exception. That's why sin incurs a death penalty. Remember, look look what James 1, 14 and 15 says. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. If Achan were here right now, he'd go, yeah, that's exactly what happened. It's not pretty. When they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed, then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full-grown, interesting phrase, gives birth to death. Always. Sin always kills. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's such good news, and we get so excited about that part We forget the first part. And here, let me tell you a little principle. The good news doesn't make sense apart from the bad news of sin. If you don't understand the bad news, you will never appreciate the good news. In fact, the good news isn't really good news. If sin isn't a big deal, if I don't have, if I don't need a Savior, then what's the big deal about the gospel? Why would it be called good news? Go tell people, good news, good news, you have a Savior. (laughs) I'm fine, I don't need a Savior we don't understand the penalty the pain the just right death penalty that is ours because of sin that will come if we don't understand that then the gospel's like well you know i don't need that i'm fine it's when we understand the judgment of sin and the death that it always kills that's when we begin to appreciate Jesus' gift of eternal life on the cross. Sin always kills. It also always separates. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. He will not hear. There's this sense of separation. It separates us from our relationship with God. Let me tell you why. God is a holy and a pure and a just God like no other being in the universe. He is one of a kind. He is pure, white-hot Righteous holiness and sin cannot exist in his presence It cannot exist in his presence so it always separates Separates in our relationship with him now we've also seen how it separates in our relationship with other people Separates in marriages it separates in families it separates in business partnerships sin separates everywhere it goes It always kills and it always separates That's just The way sin is. And see, that's why the cross is such a big deal. If you think what happened to Achan was harsh, if you think the whole thing with the city of Ai and the the execution of Achan, if you think that was harsh, let me just tell you take a look at the cross for a minute. You want to see how God looks at sin? Look at the cross and i'm not talking a little gold piece of jewelry the romans would think we were insane wearing little crosses around our neck maybe like uh, walking around with a little needle for lethal injection yeah that's what it is i think it's beautiful it's, i've got on james avery with my little electric chair right there i got it's beautiful lovely it's great gold or silver it's a wonderful my execution charm you know i mean really the romans would look at us like you're wearing a cross are you out of your mind the reason we wear the cross It's because of what happened there, the the redemption that is ours because of the cross. You want to see the cross, the best depiction I've seen, okay, contemporary depiction is Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion. Just watch that. Watch that. And let me just tell you, it's not enough. It doesn't go to describe the full torture and torment that Jesus went through, the death, the agony, the hours on the cross that he experienced for your sin and for mine. You all you gotta to do to see how harsh and brutal sin is, is look at the cross. See, the cross was God's judgment of sin. Here's the part that we don't understand. We live in a in a culture that so wants everything to be, you know, just permissive and everybody do what they want to do. The world isn't like that. There is a God. He created everything. It is his right to set what good and evil is. It is his right to call his creation to it. And one day we will all stand before him and we will answer for this. Well, I don't think so. I don't want to. Oh, good. Well, then I guess you don't know what God means. Because you don't have a choice. Okay, he's God, you're not. Well, I don't believe that. Well, great. But one day you're going to stand before him. And you won't be able to say nobody told you. Because here in August, in 2017, I told you. We are going to stand before God. And, And let me tell you, if God is not just, if there is not a sense of justice, then God is not good. We don't think of unjust people as being good. God is just. Sin has a just and righteous death penalty associated with it. That's why on the cross, remember when Jesus yelled, about my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" God had to judge sin and turn his back on Jesus. Look at what this scripture says. First um, Peter 2:24. It says, "He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He himself bore our sins in His body on the cross. second 2 Peter 2:24. 2, Jesus became sin for us. And look what it says, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. We might die to sin. Come on, if you're going to clap for that, you better do it right. Thank you, Lord. You are good.
1: And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called How He Leads in the series Joshua. When God Calls You which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org and while you're there if you've been blessed by this teaching your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others just find the gift tab at reallife.org and Pastor Sean Azaro now an author invites you to check out his brand new book podcast series in a devotional form encouraging you to embrace the spirit-filled
0: life.
2: I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit.
1: Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Zaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now the conclusion to the message How He Leads. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: On the cross, my sin went with him. That's why God had to turn his back. That was the judgment of sin. His son whom he loved dearly, whom he was well pleased in. That's how serious he is about sin. It always kills. It always separates. Sin always bears, and I want you to see this. Sin always bears negative fruit. Listen, if you fail to do this, you'll be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. This is what some people, this is the hard part. Some people think that kind of, I, I can do these little things and nobody will ever see. Like Achan hiding these things in his tent. This is something my mother used to say to me. Be sure your sin will find you out. Anybody have anybody say that to you? Be sure your sin will Only they always had a more ominous voice. Your sin will find you out. You know, and I was like, why are, you, why are you talking like that, Mom? That's horrible. <laughs> Do you know why she told me that? Because it's completely true. It is completely true. Your sin will find you out. It always bears fruit. We call it the law of the harvest, right? Galatians 5. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. We sow seeds and we reap a harvest. You know what it says right before that? In Galatians, it actually says... God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, so also he will reap. It's interesting. It's almost like we're mocking God if we think I can sin and not have the consequence come. Youth pastored in the beginning of my ministry, I was a youth pastor. I loved it, loved youth ministry. But one of the hard parts is young people think they're like invincible, right? You know, they think they're like Superman. And actually today as I watch them and do things and do crazy things and bounce back and go on, I'm like, maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being old, though. But they think, I remember talking to students, different ones, and they would get involved in sinful behavior and go, well, you know, I did that and nothing happened. It's okay. It didn't hurt anybody. And what the problem is, they're in that early stage of sin. They're in the, what we call the sowing part. They haven't yet reaped. Because reaping a harvest takes time. Consequence takes time. And I remember as a youth pastor, I always wish I could take, because I knew of some people who really had screwed up lives because of sin. I wanted to bring them before the youth group. Now, that's always an awkward invitation. I'd like you to come and be an example of the wretchedness of sin for my group. Would you? No? Okay. So it was, you know, you got to be tasteful in the thing, right? But, I mean, I, I really, I want to bring someone in their, their 50s, their 60s, so who, who's, who's already begun and is, has been reaping that harvest. And has a life that's torn apart. Because I knew, I, I knew numerous examples. Kids who won't speak to him. Multiple kids born out of wedlock. Kids they don't even know. And they have regrets. Finances in absolute ruin because of multiple divorces and the payments and the things they have to do. And just families that are torn apart. Lives that are torn apart. A mountain of debt that they'll never, they would tell you they'll never get out from under because of choices and decisions and sin brokenness, pain, addiction, and just the carnage and the people that it leaves in its wake. It always bears fruit. See, that's why we love the cross so much, because that's where we're set free. That's where our sin can be dealt with, and we can be given new life. It's interesting if Joshua or Akin could be here with us, they would also tell us our disobedience or our sin hurts those around us. It's not just us. It's not just me who's damaged by sin. You ever been punished for what someone else did? That's not fun. Anyone who's ever played sports has had this experience, right? One guy goofs off. We're all running laps. We're all doing wind sprints. We're all doing push-ups. And what's weird is as bad as that is, getting punished for what someone else did, being the guy who caused it all, that's worse because we're all staring daggers at him right? Or worse yet, if you're the guy, everybody's staring daggers at you. It's like, it's not fair, it's not fair, but it's the way it is in a culture or a community endeavor. It's not just us who are hurt by our sin or our disobedience. It's our family, it's our friends, it's our neighbors. None of us is truly independent. We all live in and operate in some kind of community. What we do impacts others in the community, and this, this is what so many people don't understand, I remember in the, in the 80s, I was youth pastoring in Southern California, and a big topic of discussion was modesty laws that were on the books in certain beach cities. Now, people were already violating those left and right. But there were some who were saying, hey, wait a minute, we've got to have some limits. You know, on the beach communities, it was crazy. And a lot of people were standing up, wait, I, I do what I want. If they don't like what I'm wearing, and this was particularly in this case, it was women saying, if they, they don't like what I'm wearing, they can look away. Well, but they didn't understand. And and I remember at the time thinking, but you're acting like you're alone on an island. You're not. You're in a community. And what you do affects other people. It affects other families. It affects people raising their kids. It affects people. We're not an island. My sin affects others. We've all seen it, haven't we? I'll bet in a room this size, I dare say there are hundreds who in a family, you've been damaged, you've been hurt by the sins of someone else. Wasn't your sin, someone else, a parent, someone in the family, and you have been hurt by their sins. And you know full well what I'm saying is true. Yep, other people's sin can really hurt us. How about in a company? Ever seen a company devastated because a few people got greedy? Name Enron mean anything to you? Hundreds thousands of people lost jobs, lost livelihoods, lost their retirements because of the greed of a few. I mean, stop and think about it. Think about nations. I mean, a great example in world history is, I mean, look at Germany. Look what Germany went through after World War II. Because of one maniac and his small circle of people, and you go, well, the whole nation should have known better. That's a complex issue. Lots of innocent people suffered because of a small group of maniacs. An entire nation was devastated for decades because of that. If you don't think our sin influences others, we're not thinking straight. That's why God takes sin so seriously. See, where God leads matters. How he leads matters just as much. And here's the whole point, and I want you to understand this is why sin is such a big deal. It's not because God just likes to control everybody, likes to judge everybody. That is not the case at all. Here's why obedience is the pathway to blessing. Obedience is the pathway to blessing. This is God's design. His plan for his people was to give them a land of promise that was to be a blessing. Remember the description, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a gift to a people who'd been set free from slavery. He freed them. He broke them out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. A whole generation chose not to follow. A new generation was raised rise up. He parted the Jordan River. And his plan was to give his people, his purpose was to give his people a land of promise, a gift, a blessing. Sin stands in the way of that blessing. Remember what Jesus said, John ten ten: the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life and have it more abundantly. That's the point. Obedience is the pathway to blessing. Joshua found that out. We're, we're, we read where after they had carried out the Lord's judgment, his anger, his judgment was then suspended. But Joshua 8, 1 and 2, he said... Joshua, don't be afraid. Now go up and take the whole army and attack I. Now it's time. Now I've delivered the king and all the people and the city into your hand. You're going to do to them just like the, you did to Jericho. But listen to this. He says in verse 2 of chapter 8, except that now you may be able to carry off plunder and livestock for yourselves. And then he tells them to set an ambush. Very different strategy. They don't always expect God to do things the same. But just like he promised, Jericho was the first city it was devoted to the Lord. Everything else, he wanted to bless them. He was going to empower them. He was giving them a gift. See, that's why it's so important. Obedience is the pathway to blessing. The power of God is released in our obedience. That's why this matters so much. As you look at the plans and things that God's put before you, as you consider God's calling and stepping out in some of those things that God may have been speaking to you about, just keep in mind, obedience is the pathway to blessing great passage. I just love this passage in the New Testament, John chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading it, verse 4. Jesus is talking. It's his final night before he's crucified, talking to his disciples. He says to them, remain in me as I also remain in you. Think about that word remain. In other words, stay put. Okay, it's not a visit. Come with me a little bit. Remain in me as I remain in you. And that very much literally by his spirit resident in us no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me i'm the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and i in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing make note of that that's significant nothing supernatural nothing life-giving nothing eternal if you do not remain in me you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, listen to this promise, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. Listen, if you keep my commandments, there's obedience, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, some people take this. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, as God saying, okay, it's conditional love. The minute I disobey him, he doesn't love me anymore. That is absolutely a wrong reading of that passage. What he's saying is, when God is leading us, it's as though we are under a canopy of blessing. We are in relationship with him. We are under a canopy of blessing, and his presence, his love, his joy, that's the canopy. The minute we say, God thank you, but no. I'm going to go do it my way. I want to disobey. I want to try it my way, and I want to get what I can get. God, in his, I think, great sadness says, so be it. He's given us a free will, but we literally are stepping out from under that canopy of his blessing, and we bring upon ourselves all the judgment that sin carries with us in this passage Jesus listed some things he said if you obey you will remain and those who remain bear fruit God wants you to be fruitful he wants you to do more and, and, and experience more than you ever imagined possible he says apart from me you can't bear fruit he uses the picture of a vine and a branch he's like kind of obvious I want you to experience fruit he wants us to experience power and prayer he wants us to remain firmly in his love and not experience the separation of disobedience he wants us to experience joy That's his gift. See, where God leads matters, but how he leads matters just as much.
1: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message called How He Leads in the series Joshua, When God Calls You, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org.